Thanks, Krista. All right, so Mark chapter 2 is where we are this week. And uh, last week we kicked off our uh, series in the, the Gospel according to Mark. Uh, we're calling it Pictures of Jesus. And um, we chose that name because Mark is full of these just quick little clips of the life and ministry of Jesus, a, a docudrama of sorts written by the Holy Spirit through Mark from the eyewitness testimony of Peter of the life of Jesus because Mark was the writer and attendant or assistant to uh, Peter. And I think it's really fitting for us Americans who are much like Rome, and Mark is writing from a Roman perspective, like Rome, we are a major world power unliked by much of the world and um, have short attention spans because we are tech savvy, because we are cutting edge. And so Mark rolls quickly and it's very fitting for us. And we'll be doing a chapter a week um, from last week all the way through Easter Sunday. So four months of a good, strong look at Jesus. And uh, we'll go even deeper in the chapter and cover parts of the chapter that we don't cover uh, this morning in our connection groups. And so we'd encourage you again to be a part of one of those, jump into one of those uh, information in your uh, river guide. But I really want to encourage you this year, 2011, to jump into one of those. If you're thinking that's not my thing, I want to encourage you to give it six weeks. And uh, I think God will show you that it is your thing and you'll love it and uh, you'll grow from it. So last week we saw Jesus in chapter one preparing for his ministry and preparing for his journey to the cross. And so hopefully, as we spoke about some of the different preparations that we are to take to get ourselves ready for our journey in life with the Lord, hopefully you went home, you thought through some of your necessary preparations. Let me just kind of jog your memory again, again, your destination, and are you living in light of the destination? Did you prep for that? Are you prepping for difficulty so you're, you're ready when it comes? Half the battle is knowing that it's coming. The other half is prepping with scripture, prepping with people, getting people around you who can support you. Prepare yourself for difficulty, both trials and temptations that come your way. Prep for community. Make sure you're supporting yourself. And then we also saw prep for longevity. Make sure that you become a self-feeder and you can feed yourself so that you don't run out of fuel halfway through the journey as so many do. And so I want to say this. I in regards to last week's message, if there is, is anything that you need, any way that we can help you along in your spiritual journey, help you make some of these preparations, please talk to me about that. Uh, talk to one of the leaders. We'd love to uh, help you. We'd love to resource you, whether it be uh, with, with children, whether it be just your personal life, getting off the ground and, and get, you know, getting strong in the Lord. Whatever it may be, we want to resource you and help you. And we know some great tools that can help you along in that journey. So please uh, let us know, communicate that to us. We're going to pray and get right into Mark 2 now. Uh, one thing we want to praise God for together is let's praise God for uh, what we were speaking about uh, last week and praying for last week with uh, Peter's brother, Danny. Um, Danny is uh, going through uh, just some, some, some difficult stuff, as you know. He was on life support, and so we want to pray and thank God because the news, the update is this. He's off life support. He's, um, it's just been incredible some of the stuff he's done. Cleared up of his staph infection, which is just unreal. And so we want to praise God for that. And so if you would, why don't we go to the Lord now in prayer and just thank him for, um, for what he's done uh, in the life of Danny and ask him just to move in our hearts uh, in this time. All right? God, we thank you so much for, um, for what you have done 
in the life of uh, Danny over the past uh, week. It's incredible to see how you have have moved, Lord. He was at such a low point, still there emotionally and in his spirits, uh, but Lord, you are giving him another chance at life. And God, I pray that you would just awaken him to that. And Lord, I pray for um, those people who have gone through just this this low point in this life with him. I pray that you would encourage them and build them up. And uh, Lord, we praise you for the miracle of life that he has. He really, really shouldn't be here based on staph infection, based on lack of oxygen uh, to his brain for so long, uh, based on lungs that were just shot. Uh, Lord, we are just so grateful for what you have done. It's incredible. And we give you glory and honor and praise for that. Father, as we look at your word now, God, I pray that you would really just awaken our hearts to Jesus and the mission of Jesus and how he went about living it out on this earth uh, so that he could accomplish your will and head to the cross, but also so that uh, he could show us how we might live on this earth. And God, uh, in these early days, of Charles River Church is a brand new church looking to get off the ground and get going. Lord, I pray that you would awaken our hearts to some truths, um, to some lifestyle changes that would help us to be more effective for Christ and for his mission. And so, Lord, I just I, I just pray that you would fall heavy on our hearts in this time as we look at you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 2. Verse 1 is where we will kick it off, and um, so why don't we read together. Mark 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Let's stop right there. This is, this is really important for us to kind of sit here for a little while. Uh, I think it's safe to assume, because we're in a, in, a, in a major city, that many of you are not originally from Boston. And so maybe you can relate a little bit here that when you're new to an area, it it takes a while to develop relationships with people. It takes a while to develop not just relationships, but meaningful relationships, people who can be there with you in the thick and thin uh, if you're in a a new place, people who are going to come alongside of you and and support you and people that you can then minister to. And so... In, in a new place in today's day and age, people aren't going to be coming up to you. You've got to go to them. It's not like 1950 when you move into your, your new neighborhood and they bring you a fruitcake. That doesn't really happen anymore. In fact, just uh, a few weeks ago when we brought poinsettias to our neighbors and then a few weeks prior to that when we brought pies to our neighbors as a church, I don't know about your experience, but our experience, people were kind of really stunned by that. Like they didn't, you know, we had one guy didn't even know what to say. He was just like, uh... And Becky starts walking away, and then he goes, thank you, thank you, okay, like that, that's cool, you know. And, and so we're, we're, we're in a different kind of day and age, and so you have to make effort to meet people. Maybe it's through Little League, maybe it's through the, the gym, maybe it's neighbors that you, you want to just go out and meet, maybe it's, it's, it's going to the park, and on and on and on, you have to, to make an effort to, to meet people. For Jesus, he's the new guy in town here in Capernaum. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth by Mary and Joseph, about 25 miles away from Nazareth is where we're at today with Jesus and Capernaum. And this is a long distance by foot or um, 
by, by camel or donkey. And so in Mark chapter 1, what we saw last week is, is Jesus calls his first four disciples in and around this fishing village of Capernaum where we're landing today. He calls brothers Peter and Andrew and fishing brothers James and John. These guys are fishermen by, by trade. And, and so in Capernaum, we saw in Mark 1 that in, 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 in verse 21, he goes into the synagogue and he casts out demons and, and does really incredible things. In verse 27, he goes into Peter and, and Andrew's house and heals Peter's uh, mother-in-law. And, and so naturally, you can imagine, word travels really fast about Jesus and what he's doing. And, and this new kid didn't have to really work hard at, at going to the people like we have to do as, as new people in, in town. He didn't have to really work hard to go to the people. He just went to church and he went to this home, and people flocked to them so much so that in verse 33 of Mark chapter 1, as we saw last week, it says that the whole city was gathered at the door, the door of Peter's house. The whole city's there, and he healed, Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And because of his teaching, because of his miracles, word traveled fast, and, and Jesus is quickly becoming this big deal in this fishing town of of Capernaum. And then shortly thereafter, you kind of end the, the last piece of the chapter with Jesus taking these new four disciples and, and moving on to other towns throughout the region of, of, of Galilee. And so with all of that background, let's read uh, Mark 2, 1 again. He's gone away uh, from Capernaum, the new town that he's in. And, and 2, 1 again, it says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at, give me that word, he was at what? He was at home. It's reported that he was at home. And so he's there. So he has started out in Capernaum, gone to other towns, and he's returned where? Let me just make sure we get that. Home. He's returned home to, to Capernaum. And, and so Capernaum is now referred to as his home. I, I want us to sit here for a minute and think about the fact that Capernaum is referred to as his home. It's his new ministry headquarters, his, his home. Is Jesus born and, and, and or even raised in Capernaum? No, that's Bethlehem, and then he's raised in, in, in Nazareth. Before that, even, his, his, his home is the heavens, and, and Scripture says that he descended down from heaven to, to make this, this earth his home, and, and so now he's here with us. He takes up uh, residence with Mary and, and Joseph, and he then lands in Nazareth, and he does all of that willingly, and now his new headquarters, his new home willingly is Capernaum. And many of us have to, to, to travel and land in new places. Maybe it's because of job transfer. Maybe it's because of uh, housing costs. But for Jesus, he was in Capernaum by choice. It was his will. It is now his home. And so this really speaks to us a, a lot about the nature of Jesus and the nature of what he's seeking to do when, with his ministry. And so in, in one sense, Jesus has descended into humanity. God in Jesus descends into humanity in one sense to become our, our neighbor so that he might rub shoulders with us, so that he might call us then to, to follow him. And so let me say that again. Jesus has come so that he might be our neighbor. Now I didn't say he came just to be our neighbor. He's come to be more than our neighbor. He's come to be our savior, our redeemer, and, and our Lord. But to make that possible, he becomes our neighbor. And he says, this place is going to be home. At least for a while. 
from the, from the throne of glory to Capernaum so that he can save us. He makes his place his home. And so the question for you to kick things off this morning is this. Will you humbly make yourself at home in a foreign land? And, and, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, why don't we flip over to John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, John chapter 17. As always, if you, if you don't have a Bible, you can always grab one on your way in. Or uh, if you don't have a Bible at home even, please keep that one that you grab on your way in or on your way out and uh, make that your very own. We'd love for you to have that. But John 17, I want to look at verses 14 through 19 here for a minute to just think about our residence, where, where we're from. John 17, 14 through 19, here's what Jesus says. This is his high priestly prayer, his big last prayer to the Lord before going to the cross. He says this, he says, God, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. He's going to set himself apart. That's what consecration means, by going to the cross. I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. And so he says this. This is very important. He says, Christians are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, Jesus says. And he says that several times, adding emphasis. You, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you are not of the world. Your citizenship eternally is not here. You're heading somewhere else. We talked about the destination last week. Even in First Peter chapter 2, 11, Peter refers to us as sojourners, as exiles. Other translations say that we are strangers, aliens to this world. So in, in, in one sense, Christians, we should see ourselves as people who are citizens of somewhere else, that this is not our home eternally. We need to catch that in one sense, that we are passing through. We're not going to be here long term. This is not our, our final destination. But the point this morning is, is, is really important for us to latch on, is that though this isn't our final destination, for the time that God has us here, we need to find the place that he has us at. We need to figure that place out and make a home. We've got to make a home. And, and here's what I mean. Aaron's going to put it on the screen. I want you to get this. Is that you can't let your final destination keep you from being disengaged in your present location. Catch that? You can't let your eternal location destination keep you disengaged from your your present location maybe you've seen this before christians who just say i'm heading for heaven and so i'm not really going to connect here on the earth because i'm heaven bound that's my home and and that's where i'm going and so i'm going to just kind of gather with christians and just kind of we're just going to hunker down and hope we make it you know what i mean we hope we're going to we're going to be able to get to the end get get with jesus and they just kind of hunker down maybe you've seen this outside of just christian circles where people maybe they know they're just passing through an area they're not going to live there very long and so they just don't connect with other people. They don't even try to uh, emotionally connect with other people because they know that they're just going to be gone soon. On the flip side, the good news is that this is what good romance movies are made of, right? You know what I'm talking about? This is, this is what good romance movies are made of. Like the boy who comes into town, 
just for the summer, and he meets the, the girl, the towny girl, and should they not enjoy love because he's going to be gone in two months? That's a good romance movie, right? Or, or the, other, you know, the other classic scene for a romance movie is a woman falls in love with a man who's dying of cancer. Should they not go forward with, with their love because he's not going to be around next year? I mean, that's like every other Lifetime movie, right? They're a Hallmark movie. And so what would you do? Do you, do you miss out on the love so as to avoid the, the pain? Or do you go with it, right? This is girl talk we're having here, so I'm kind of enjoying this right now. Girl talk, right? What would you do? As a, as a Christian, though, here's the question. As a Christian, what are you doing? What are you doing? You say, well, I'm, I'm going to be gone, so I'm not going to connect here. I'm going to be gone, so I'm not going to enjoy this here. I'm going to be gone, so I'm just, just going to miss out on what God has for me here. I believe with all of my heart that it is a sin for Christians to become Christian separatists. I really believe that with, with all of my heart, that you just disengage from the world because you're not here to stay. It's, it's a sin that we would call a sin of omission. It's a sin where you're guilty of this because you didn't do what God has called you to do. And clearly in John 17 here, what God has called us to do is to live as one who is sent. And I understand that, that many Christians, they, they get it all mixed up. And see, we're talking about extremes here. Many Christians will get it mixed up where they just live as if this is their final destination. And so they live like they, they look like the rest of the world. And so we need to be very, very careful here. John 17, Jesus says they're not of the world. They're, they're not of the world. Uh, he repeats it several times. We are to be marked by holiness. But, but listen, you are to be distinct, but we are not to be disengaged. You are not of the world. You have been sent, however, to the world just as he was sent to the world. And so we can't pull away. We must, we must engage. We must unpack our, our emotional bags and, and stay a while and engage with our neighbors and, and engage with our community and engage with our, our coworkers. And so the question for us all is, is are we engaging? Do we see ourselves here as, as missionaries, as people who are sent, as Jesus comes as a missionary to the world, as one who is sent? Some are paid, some are unpaid. I, I have the, the privilege of being paid. Some of you are working, working other jobs, but you need to see that as not the goal, as not the end. That is a means so that you can minister here and minister to your coworkers. And so some are paid, some are unpaid, but we are to be living as as missionaries, living in our, our community and making a home in our community so that we might minister well here in our community. Now, one thing that I think is important for us just to note, that we're in Boston and we're, I believe, in a very, very strategic place in God's plan. And uh, I just want to think through, just maybe think through the, the Bible here with me for a second. The Bible starts out where? starts out in a garden, right? In Genesis, we start out in a garden. And then we end up where? In a holy city. Think about that. In a garden to a, a, a holy city. And, and cities, I believe, are very strategic places in, in, in God's plan. Garden to a city. And so you, you kind of even look back through, through history and, and, and we're shifting. We're making a big shift from people who, who most people in the world lived in, in rural 
places in, in suburban places to where now for the first time, just the past few years, for the first time in history, we have made that crossover where over 50% of the world's population live in cities. Sociologists are projecting that by 2030, 60% of the world's population will be living in cities. I believe that God's bringing us in that direction. I believe that God's prepping us for our eternal destination, an urban destination where we're close-knit together, we are enjoying our community perfectly together, and worshiping the Lord together. Garden to a city, and I want us to, to, to get that. In, in cities, there's just more people. And now God needs Christians everywhere. God will send Christians everywhere, to the rural, to the, to the, to the urban. But I believe that we're in a really cool strategic place here in in the city god has done something cool now with this city comes some problems as well more people equals more sin and so cities have a reputation to be a little more wicked in 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 nature and where there's more sin here's the good news there's more opportunity for repentance and so we can see god do something really really cool think through even the strategy of of the apostle paul where did he go world's first greatest missionary he goes where he goes to the urban center so that he can make an impact there that would then have this ripple effect. You go to the place upstream where culture is affected so that then you can impact the rest of the culture. And so Paul did that very strategically, and I think we're in a really cool strategic place. So with that said, I want us to see ourselves here now as missionaries here to our, our communities. God has us here in a very strategic place. And so for you even, as you move forward, as some of you get married, you have, you have kids, the trend is this. The trend is to move out where it's easier to live, it's a little more comfortable for you and for your children. That's the trend. I would encourage you when considering where you're going to live, where you're going to move, I would encourage you, think beyond just economics. Think just beyond, beyond just, just school systems and, and think ministry. Prayerfully, Bring before the Lord, God, where am I going to live? Where am I going to be long term? Where are we going to plant our family? God, where do you, you have us? Mark 2, 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, it was reported that he was at home. He, he made this place his home. And so for the rest of our time together, here's what I want to do. I want to look at Jesus and, and what he did to impact his home, his temporary home. What are we going to do to impact our, our, our temporary home? home we really see kind of two methods employed by jesus here in this chapter and i want to i want to look at them close the first method in verses 1 through 12 and then the next method in in 13 through 17 so let's go through 1 through 12 again of of mark chapter 2 when he returned to capernaum and after some days it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door and he was preaching the word to them and they came, bringing to him a paralytic and, and ca- carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Who do you question these, or why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth 
to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So we see here Jesus is just shaking up his new home, his new temporary home. And so let's think from this, how do we impact our temporary homes that God has us in. And the first way is this that we see from Jesus, one of two, attractional living. Attractional living, where people see you and people are are drawn to you. Now, I've got to be very careful here. Be very careful here because we should never strive to be people pleasers. We are God pleasers. That's our, our goal. But quite frankly, um, we got to know that we can't be people pleasers always. In fact, many claims of the Christian faith will just make people angry. It just makes them, them angry. The gospel is, is an offense to people that they need something other than themselves. They need Jesus. And so it makes people angry. We can't be people pleasers. But what we can do by living attractionally and, and really seeing this attractional element of our lives, we can begin to tear down some walls and we can t- begin to, to gain some, some listening ears. Now, it's, it's really easy to see the attractional piece of what Jesus is, is doing here. He's, he's in his new home. This new home is, is most likely the house of, of Peter because from Mark chapter 1, we see a similar scene in verse 33 where the whole city is gathered outside of Peter's house. And so he comes back. They want to find Jesus. Naturally, they're going to go to the same house. I, I believe that the home that he's in here is, is Peter's home. And so the crowds are gathering at this house. And it says that it is just so packed out that, that there's, there, it's just a, a, literally a packed house that there's not even room at the door. So just imagine the fire marshal is ticked off, right? He is writing all kinds of fines and he's, he's ready to bust these guys. And so people are, are drawn to Jesus. They've heard about uh, what it says in Mark 1 about his amazing teachings. They, they've heard about his, his miracles and so they're just drawn to him and and when he speaks they listen to him but but notice when when they listen to him what does he share verse two what does he share he shares it says the word (laughs) he shares the word this is a really important thing for all of us in this room that when somebody is coming to you maybe you've gained their esteem and, and they're ready to hear from you they they they're they're looking for advice they're looking for just some thoughts on something. It's very important that we, we don't start with ourselves, but we start with the Scripture. When we have the opportunity to speak, we speak, if we can at all possible, the Word. He speaks. This is Jesus. He speaks the Word, a great example for us. And, and, and I just want to kind of latch onto that. When they, they come to Him, He has this attractional piece. They come to Him, and He shares the, the Word. And, and, and for you, I'll tell you this. God has given all of us some kind of sphere of influence we kind of all have this 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 bubble of people that we are connected with and so think through that just now let your mind go there who are the people within your your sphere of influence for me it's it's my neighbors for me it's it's the people at the coffee shop that i frequent i have this coffee shop that i go to i've made it my office because my boys are out of control after like you know after right around lunchtime and so i go and kind of get some silence for a little while uh, so those are people within my, my, my sphere of influence, maybe the parents at my, my, my kids' uh, preschool. It's, it's family members, people who see me uh, online, employees at the places that I, I frequent, people at the gym that I exercise at. I mean, on and on and on. I, I have this, this sphere of influence, and so do you. Now, you and I, we're not necessarily performing 
miracles like Christ, but we are seeking to live. We should be seeking to live an exemplary life marked by things like service, marked by things like humility, marked by generosity, marked by genuine interest in people and their lives and their, and their needs. And what will happen is as, as your, your life is marked by these things, people within your, your sphere of influence will become drawn to you and, and they'll be looking for you to, to share, looking for you to speak into their lives. And so when you have that opportunity, like Christ, what do we speak into their lives? We speak into their lives the word. And so we see here, people are drawn to Jesus. And one thing I want us to, to, to see of, of, of the people who have been drawn to Jesus, now we can break it down a little more. and We can kind of see of the people who are drawn to Jesus, there's really two types of people. We have the crowds and we have the committed. The crowds and the committed. The crowds, I mean, it's a common sight in the ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, Mark uses that word crowds. We have crowds here. You go next week, Mark chapter 3, there's, there's more crowds. Jesus has crowds around him all the time as he gears up for, for just big things in his ministry, working his way to the cross. So we have crowds, but we also have the committed. People who are committed to Christ. People who have exercised faith, trust, belief, banking their whole, their whole life on Christ. People who have, who have put wheels to what they've seen Jesus do and they act upon these things. And so here we have these, these committed four men and a paralytic. They're bringing the paralytic to Jesus. They couldn't get to him because of, of the crowds. And so it says that they go up on, on the roof. And so in Palestinian homes in that day, and even still today, they would have these staircases that would come along the outside of the house and, and bring you up to the, the, the roof. And, and, and so they get up there and they start digging this hole. They couldn't get to Jesus down below, so they're up on the roof. And they start to dig this hole through, through these houses that were made of, of a compost of grass and clay and, and clay tiles. They start to kind of get through this and, and, and get through uh, the, the, the roof. And I can imagine Peter, you know, on the inside. And suddenly in his home, this little hole starts to open up, right? And he's scratching his head thinking, I hope this is covered in my homeowner's insurance, right? And so he's scratching his head. This hole is, is coming into his house. And, and, and they get through the roof, and they, they lower this paralytic man, this paralyzed man, down to Jesus. And what does it say that Jesus does? He, he recognizes their faith, and then he says, sins are forgiven be, because of this. Why did he forgive the sins? Because of their, their faith. They trusted him, and they acted upon what they believed Jesus could do. And I just want you to notice in Scripture this, that, that faith is tied to action. You can't really untie faith and, and action. Here we have these men, they have faith in Jesus, so they dig and press in to get a little closer. Think later on, and I believe it's Mark chapter 5, you have the woman who is hemorrhaging. She's been bleeding for years and years and years. And, and what does she do? She believes Jesus can save her. She has faith, and so then it's tied to her action. She presses in to the crowd to get to Jesus, to, to touch Jesus. On the flip side, there's a story of, of the rich young ruler where Jesus says, you're not willing to leave your stuff? Well, that means you never really exercised true faith. Listen, action doesn't save you. Our works don't save you. Faith in Jesus saves us, but true faith has resulting actions. It really does. And so if you've placed faith in Jesus to save you, but life change hasn't happened in, in your life, you need to really evaluate, have I really trusted Jesus? Because I believe faith is, is tied to, to action. 
And, and, and you need to be really careful in, in seeking the Lord on this. Am I just part of the crowd? Am I just kind of a part of the crowd where I, I like Jesus, I'm gathered around Jesus, I'm staring at Jesus, but nothing's, nothing's really, really changing in my heart. Now, of course people wanted to see Jesus. Of course they were intrigued by Jesus. All these cool things that he's doing, miracles, casting out demons, they're, they're, they're wanting to be where Jesus is. They're, they're checking out the action. They're there. The other day I was heading up, Thursday, heading up to, to Cambridge. And on my way up to Cambridge, I saw a car accident. And what it was was the classic, the car was pulling out, but the snowbank was too high from the plow, plow, and he just couldn't see and just risked it and went out and Bam, there was an accident right there. Spun the car around, and I just got there clearly right after this had happened. The car was up on, on the snowbank, and I was kind of way on the other side, so I didn't really have the opportunity to stop, and there were already people who had stopped and, and began to get out. No emergency officials yet, um, but you could really see even in this accident, and, and all these accidents, even driving down the highway, there are two types of people, aren't there? There's the, the people who get out and do something, or there's the people who slow down and watch it and, and, and in a sick way or kind of entertained by it, right? Yeah, the people who do something and the people who, who watch. Now, among the people who watch, you even have a couple types of people among those people. You have the people who are, who are entertained by it in a weird way or are slowing down and, and checking things out or you also have people who are just frustrated. And we're in Boston, so man, people were frustrated at the traffic honking, like, let's get on with this thing, trying to burn up on the, the, the bank as best they could and get around the accident. And, and really, you even have this with Jesus. You have these self-righteous, the story goes on, these self-righteous scribes, right? And, and they accuse Jesus of blaspheming. Who is he to say that he can, can forgive sins? They're just upset with Jesus. But they're part of the crowd. You just have the crowd. And, and, and I just want to get us thinking, who are we today? Are, are, are you a part of the crowd or are you a part of the committed? Are, are, you, are you one of the people within the crowd? You, you like Jesus. You like to hang around Jesus. You like church life. You like church people. You, you, you maybe even like to participate occasionally. You like to kind of consume by it. You're entertained by it. But, but have you really exercised faith in Jesus like these people who say, we got to get to Jesus. Let's get up on the roof. Let's get him down. We know that he can, he can heal. Have you trusted your life with him? You have the crowds and you have the committed. The crowds watch him. The committed go to him and, and act on what they really believe. And, and so Christians, as we live attractionally and, and people perhaps begin by God's grace, begin to be attracted to you, drawn to you, how are you going to bring out the, the committed from among the crowd? And, and that's something I think is really important for us to, to, to think through a, a little bit. What you need to do is this. You need to speak the word into lives, and then you also need to put yourself in a place where you are most available. Naturally, what Jesus is going to do in that house where people are jamming is he's going to get somewhere where he's most available. He's getting in the center of the room. Maybe there's a chair. Who knows? Maybe he stood up on the chair. The Sermon on the Mount. He goes up on the, on the Mount. But he gets himself in a place where he is, is available to people. And so for us, we have to, to, to make ourselves available to people. Are you positioning yourself to where you're available? Jesus says, Matthew 5, 14, that we're, we are a city on a hill. We are a light, not to be put under a basket. Remember the little kid song, hide it under a bushel? No. 
I'm going to let it shine, right? We're not to be a light under a basket, but to be put up on, on a lampstand in a place where we can be seen and people can come. And so let me just give you a few ideas just to get your, your mind thinking in that direction, how you can position yourselves to where you can be available to people. One simple, obvious thing is tell people as they're in your life, as they have problems, tell them, listen, if there's anything I can do for you, I just want to let you know I'm here. And, and that really opens the door wide up to people. Maybe another one is just you start asking questions to let people know you're interested. Start probing them with, with questions. And those who need to spill it will spill it. Maybe one thing you need to do this is so simple. Is take out your, your earphones, right, if you're on the, on, the, on the train. Because that says, don't talk to me. I was highly convicted of that as I'm, like, in the gym yesterday. Oh, man, wait, I, have, I should take these out so people, I can talk to them if they want to, to talk to me. When you're on the train, when you're walking, take those bad boys out. Um, but here's a crazy one. Talk to your neighbors, right? It's so weird today, right? Who, who talks to their neighbors anymore, right? We, we talk to our neighbors. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't know where we're, we're going nowadays. Let's begin to talk to our neighbors. But on and on and on we could go. And hopefully this just kind of sets your mind to, to thinking that, that I can position myself before people so that they know that I'm available to them, that I care for them, and I want to talk to them if they want to talk to me. And, and, and these are maybe some ways to get you, get you thinking. As people are drawn in and, and they give you their ear, you speak the word to them and you make yourself available so that you might then call them to faith as, as Jesus did. If you don't, I'll tell you this, if you don't call them to faith, if you're not thinking in that direction, well, it's no longer been about Jesus. It's about you and your popularity because you want people drawn to you for your sake. And it's not about us, it's about him. So, attractional, attractional living. Can't end at attractional living, though, because here's, here's the truth. Many people aren't going to see you. Many people aren't in your sphere of influence. Many people couldn't care less about who in the world you are or I am. And so now we've got to go to them. We've got to go to them. And, and, and many people weren't at that house to see Jesus. So we see in this next little story here that Jesus goes to them. Let's call it missional living. Missional living. How to impact our temporary home. Ready? 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So, verse 13 says this. Jesus goes out by the sea, leaves the house, goes out by the sea. And what happens? Still, the crowds are coming to Jesus. They're, they're, they're coming to Jesus. They're attracted to Jesus. It's this attractional element of Jesus' ministry. But who didn't come? This guy named Levi, surnamed Matthew. We'll call him Matthew for the rest of our time together because that's his most common name recorded in the scripture. We'll call him Matthew. He, he's not one of the crowd that's coming to Jesus. He's in his tax booth doing his thing. So what does Jesus do? Does Jesus say, well, his loss. What do we do? Do we say, yeah, they didn't show up to church on Sunday morning. We'll just 
Maybe someday they'll come. Maybe someday they'll hear of us. No, that's not how you do it. That's how, not how we as a church are going to do it. Not how we as a church are, are seeking to do it. Don't say, I wish they would come. No, instead, what Jesus does is, I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go to Matthew. And, and, and so he goes up to Matthew to his tax booth. Matthew is a tax collector, and he calls Matthew to follow him. And what does Matthew immediately do? This is kind of strange. It says he just gets up. All right, I quit. Let's go. And he, he goes on to this new, this new calling of the Lord. It's that, again, faith tied to action kind of thing that we see going on here. And maybe it seems strange to you as it initially does to me that all Jesus said was, follow me. And he says, all right, let's go. And, and here's why it's so important. For Matthew, being called by Jesus was this unbelievable honored i mean naturally matthew has heard about jesus people are coming up to his booth to pay their taxes and they're like man i just saw this crazy thing you are not going to believe this you're not going to believe what i just saw and this jesus guy and so he's he's heard of jesus i mean obviously in in small town capernaum he knows who who jesus is he's caught word and so people are paying their taxes and talking about jesus and 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 matthew this tax collector works for herod uh, antipas and and he was despised by the jews i mean tax collectors were despised by the jew it's tax season right now for us right we're it's the new year some of you if you're you're trying to get ahead right you try to get your check in early or if you if you are getting a return right you get on it now you start to pay your taxes make sure everything's worked out and so imagine this is kind of how it worked for the tax collectors then say let's just be let's just go let's lowball it let's say you owe 250 dollars in taxes this year matthew would say this he'd say all right says here $300, and they give their $300, he pockets 50 I mean, it was just a really corrupt kind of system, and people knew it, not much they could do about it, and so he was just despised. Tax collectors were despised, unliked by the people, looked down upon, but yet Jesus calls him, so that when he is called by Jesus, he says, what? Yes, okay, I quit, let's go, and he follows Jesus, he understands the the honor of being called by the lord and he he quits and pursues his his new calling it, it it happened not because matthew showed up to church it happened not because matthew went to jesus's house he probably thought he never had a chance he probably thought he would never care about him but guess what jesus went to him and showed him i, I care for you went to his booth a place that he wouldn't typically hang out right and called this man and and so for you do you have any places that you wouldn't typically hang out, but you hang out there on purpose, strategically, as, as, as Jesus did? Do you, do you have people in your life that maybe you wouldn't even typically hang out with? I mean, the, you know, typically we call it the homogenous principle. People who look alike have similar stories. They hang out together, right? Young families hang out together. Singles like to hang out together. Teenagers like to hang out together. Do you have people that aren't like you that are involved in your life. It's rare in today's day and age, but that's what Jesus was, was doing. It may be crazy to some of you, but this is, is Jesus. This is how he, he functioned. And so for us, even in the, the early days of this church, we have to know, we have to know that people aren't just going to show up here often. It's just not how it's going to work. Not in New England, not in Boston. We have to go to them. We are in statistically speaking, the most unreached, unreached metropolitan area in the entire country. Statistically speaking, there are more evangelical Christians per capita in India 
than in Boston. So people are not going to flock to this house. They're not flocking here. We, like Christ, must go to them. Most of you can't afford at this stage in your life to save up money to go on a missions trip to China, to India, to Pakistan, to Sudan. But you know what you can do is you can go on a missions trip just down the road and you're going to some similar statistics. Go on little missions trips in your own neighborhood. Get out there. Start, start meeting people. Grow that sphere of influence that God has, has given you. Go to the people who aren't coming to you. Maybe even things that you typically would do in private, something you can do in public. You like to read? Go somewhere where you can read it. Panera Bread, let that be your missions field, right? You go to Panera Bread, it's so easy to strike up conversations there with people and, and try to do that. Maybe you can take a little missions trip to the laundromat, right? Maybe you're like, I hate laundromats, I will never go back. I remember when I was 22, I will never go back there again. Go to the laundromat, do a little missions trip there. Maybe you can go, Becky and I like our missions trips to the neighborhood park, right? Unbelievable opportunities to talk to people, to connect with, with people. Man, I, even, even formally, we have this thing coming a week from Wednesday. We're going to minister in the projects, and we're going to try to help them with this personal finance seminar. I want that sign-up to be blowing up. Get on, on that email and, and email us and let us know you want to be there. But let's really begin to live as, as missionaries, as Jesus did, going out to, to Matthew. And, and, and when he sees Matthew come to know and follow Jesus, you know what happens from there? Kind of starts to have this trickle-down effect, and that will happen with us as we all, all begin to live as missionaries. We'll see this, this trickle-down effect where all these other spheres of influence start to open up, start to be uh, affected. Jesus now has the opportunity to minister not just to Matthew, but to Matthew's former co-workers. I say former because he just quit to go follow Jesus. And, and so in verse 15, we see Jesus and some of his followers having this meal with Matthew and, and meal with his, his co-workers. And, and man, this, this makes the Pharisees upset, does it not? I mean, they're, they're ticked off. These are the, the most influential religious people of their day. And, and so they began just to jump all over Jesus because he wasn't becoming this separatist like them, but he was hanging with the corrupt tax collectors. He was hanging with sinful people. And I love how Jesus responds, just absolutely classic. He says, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. And so I'm going to the sick. I came to save the sinful, and so I'm going to hang out with the sinful is what Jesus says. And so, so Christians, again, when's the last time you hung out with a non-Christian? It is so easy as, as a church grows, as people get in church life to just only have your, your friends be, be Christians. And I would encourage us to begin to develop relationships with people who don't know the Lord, don't follow the Lord. Let's not become a church of, of separatists, but let's become a church who engages the world. And, and so I want to challenge us with something um, moving forward. I, and I'm serious here. I want to really challenge all of us with this. And I want you to take me up on this, I want us to begin to do something that I think would be powerful for all of us. Something that I really think can bear God-sized results if we would say, yes, I want to do this because it's the example of Jesus. I would encourage us to begin to engage in what we would call a Matthew meal. I want to encourage us to, 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 to really, really do what Jesus does here. He's eating with who in this meal? He's eating with Matthew's co-workers, these tax collectors, and he's eating also in the mix there are, are Christians. 
people who are now following Jesus. You have Jesus' disciples and some of Matthew's co-workers. And I think that, that we could really see just some powerful impact if we would say once a month as a church, once a month, each of us, each of our families, once a month, we will hold a, a Matthew meal. One per month. If we could do that, invite somebody over to your house to have a meal with them. Maybe that's just not going to work in your scenario. Maybe it's let's go to Chipotle. I don't know. Once a month, get with somebody that maybe you typically wouldn't hang out with. Maybe somebody new that God has brought into your life. Once a month, have a, a Matthew meal. Maybe for you it just looks like coffee. But if we would all commit to that once a month, understanding that there are some months that it just won't happen, maybe you didn't really have anybody that you really connected like that with, maybe it's 10 times a year that it works out for you. If, if all of us did that 10 times a year, it would be absolutely in, incredible. Becky and I had what I would consider a Matthew meal just, just Thursday night. Really cool stuff in that time. I was really encouraged by it. I would encourage you, once a month, have, have a Matthew meal. Now, some of us are, are single, and, and so I would encourage you, like we have here in, in the Matthew meal, Christians, there's a, a few Christians there, so maybe single people, a couple of you get together and say, let's, let's just have a, a party. Maybe it looks like a Super Bowl party is your Matthew meal. Maybe your Matthew meal is American Idol's coming back, and new judges, everybody's all excited, maybe we're going to have an American Idol party, but you're getting together, you're hanging out with people with whom you maybe typically wouldn't hang out with. Maybe it's let's have coffee and dessert. I cannot afford a meal, but let's, let's get serious about that, that we might be missional. Because as Jesus said, we have the cure for the sick. We have the cure right in our hands, right in our hearts. Satan and sin and death is killing people. And we really need to begin to see ourselves as missionaries today where God has us located strategically today. We have the cure and so I just want to challenge us to, to get it out and to go for it. And so I'll, I'll close with this. We've seen from Jesus just some powerful stuff in this chapter. We've seen from, from Jesus just an unbelievably great example, practical example for us. And I want us to, to latch on to these things, that we would willingly make a temporary home here where God has placed us today. We would live in our community, that we would really live in our community. That means we're going to frequent places. We're going to go out and get to know people. We're going to serve our community. We're not just going to be people who just are parasites to the community, but we're going to give, give back to the community. We're going to live here. We're going to serve it. We're going to unpack. We're going to stay a while. And then we're going to get serious about how can I really impact people here in, in my temporary home. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus and I'm going to be both attractional and I'm going to be missional in how I live. Attractionally, I'm going to impact those people that God has put in my sphere and then missionally, I'm going to grow my sphere of, of influence living as one who has been sent. So I'll challenge you with that this morning that you will make an impact and really be strategic in thinking about how you might make an impact in the world that God has you to be in, but not of, but, but in. We'll stay a while. Others of you, maybe this morning, you need to do a little bit of soul searching. Maybe as you hear this, this thought about the crowd versus the committed, maybe you start to realize, I'm the crowd. I'm the people who like Jesus. He's cool. I, I enjoy the things of Jesus. I, I like to reap the benefits of church and fellowship. But is it really just a social club for you? Or can it be more than that? where it's, it's about Jesus and trusting him with everything. You're banking your life and your eternity 
on him. I would call you to that today. I want to give you the opportunity today just to cry out to God and say, God, I want to turn from, from being the Lord of my life. I want to turn from my sin, and I want to turn and hand it all to you and let you take care of it. And so I would, I would call you to that today as we, we pray and as we sing this last song. I would just encourage you, call out to God and say, God, please, I, I want to be committed to you. I want to, I want to put faith in what you've done. I want to trust in you. Let me pray.